It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, Merry Christmas and welcome to the first of two Christmas specials recorded at the Leicester Square Theatre this year of the political party. This first special features Saeed Avasi and Nick Clegg and they are both on fantastic form. After Ed Ball's announced to Campbell last year, I did wonder whether we would get back to that sort of standard. And I think it's fair to say we did. Perhaps even surpassed it. They were both phenomenal. Um, both really funny. And there's always... I think because it was a Christmas special, somehow the atmosphere was slightly, slightly sillier. There's also, as always... A lot of serious stuff in there and some brilliant insights from inside government from both sides around Nick. And, of course, Nick's big passion at the moment, which is stopping Brexit, and his book, How to Stop Brexit, is out. Saeed Avasi's book is out as well, but I shall leave, um, I shall leave that to the conversation you'll hear in the interview um, about that. Uh, but both books, brilliant. Um, so, I shall leave you. Also, MP4 there on the night. And as always, we're absolutely superb. Um, so, here you go. A, a real treat. Saeed Avasi. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas, everyone. Hey, give me a cheer if you've been to a political party before. Give me a cheer if this is your first time. Excellent. Welcome, newcomers. Uh, for the un- uninitiated, uh, this is a, a friendly political show where we are civil to people we disagree with. Uh, let's just take a quick straw poll, because tonight's panel is particularly anti-Brexit. Uh, <laughs> let's just, just, just to be aware of what sort of den we're letting them out into. Uh, give me a cheer if you voted remain in the referendum. <laughs> and if you voted leave? <laughs> One person over there. Changed your mind yet? <laughs> Probably not. Greg Knight, you were silent there, and I know for a fact you voted leave. Ladies and gentlemen, MP4! <laughs> if you're unaware of who MP4 are, they're the only parliamentary rock band in uh, the UK, uh, and possibly the world. In the world. In the world. In, the world. Uh, in Parliament. In Parliament. On keys from the SNP, Mr. Pete Wishart. Thank you. On drums from the Conservative Party, Mr. Greg Knight. I say mister, I say mister, it is Sir Greg. Uh, he's a knight. Twice. No, but genuinely, that was not wordplay, he genuinely has been ennobled. And uh, on guitar, from the Labour Party, Mr Kevin Brennan. <laughs> and on lead vocals and guitar, former MP for Brig and Gould from the Labour Party, it is Mr Ian Causey. Yay. You may know them from a, a, a TV show on Dave. Uh, Kev. I'll come to you first. It's been, a, it's been a momentous year in politics. What's been your highlight of the year? Um, well, I think re-winning my seat for Cardiff West uh, in the general election, that was a big highlight, and achieving the biggest majority I've ever had since uh, 2001 when I was first elected. So that was pretty good. And uh, you're, you're right to applaud uh, the re-election of Kevin Brennan. Uh, Kevin, a lot of Labour MPs didn't think that they were going to get re-elected. Had you made alternative plans? Um, Apart from tonight. This is it. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. MP4 was, uh, was, was, was the, the alternative. Um, look, you know, at the beginning of the election campaign, you know, 
the, the polls showed my seat going to the, the Tories. So it was, a, it was, you know, we were all thinking it could be, this could be it. And then suddenly it all turned around during the campaign. And was that because of anything you did? Or do you think it had anything to do with the leadership? <laughs> I think it's the first time I've ever been heckled musically. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Uh, apparently, apparently the white stripes are the reason that Kevin uh, That's everybody right, yeah. did so well. It was, uh, Ke- it was nice of them to come and canvas for me, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kevin is also Shadow Minister for the Arts um, and joins a long line of ministers to have no experience in the field. Uh, <laughs> Pete, you had the fight of your life yes. up in Perth and North Perthshire. And thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> you clung on by how many votes? Um, 21. <laughs> 21. <laughs> After two recounts. And on, and on the recounts, how far were you ahead or behind? Well, the first, first I actually thought I'd lost my, it was my election agent said, you've actually won. I couldn't believe it, it was 36. Then it was recounted, I went down to 21. And of course they insisted once again, I thought, I'm stuffed here. I'm totally and utterly fucked. <laughs> then they recounted it again and I got 21 again. So there you go. It's incredible that you continue to get less popular after the votes were counted. <laughs> It would be quite an achievement, uh, the way the polls moved in Scotland. Another recount, it would have been right down to two, which Stephen Gethin's got as my colleague in North East Fife. So, uh, so Pete, has it, has it softened your approach to unionists in Scotland? <laughs> hey, me and, me and the unionists get on OK. You know, like, uh, we just can't stand each other. Uh, Greg, you had a very big year. In fact, uh, as well as getting re-elected, you also had a, a single out. Uh, I did, yes. Um, when the polls started to turn against the Conservatives, I thought, I've got to do something. So I went for the sympathy vote and put a video out. <laughs> to be fair, that's worked for you the last three times. Uh, let's check. For those of you that haven't seen Greg's music video, you're in for a special treat. Here we go. Hello, my name's Greg Knight. I'm the Conservative candidate for East Yorkshire. There's a general election on the 8th of June... And I hope, if you live in East Yorkshire, that you'll vote for me. You'll get accountability with conservative delivery. Make sure this time you get it right. Vote for Greg Knight. You'll get accountability with conservative delivery. Make sure this time you get it who what what the fucking well it worked I got the biggest majority I've ever had (laughs) can't wait to see what you do next time Um, uh, Ian you didn't stand for election this time no I didn't do you wish you had with a Corbyn surge you might have got elected again uh, I, I think if I could have ruined it, Jeremy Surge, I think. No, I'm pleased I came out of it. So my high spot for the year has just simply been, I'm a big fan of the thick of it. So I like this never-ending box set, which is the UK government doing Brexit. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, not, do you not miss the cut and thrust? Well, sometimes, you know, but I've played with these guys, and, you know, I mean, somebody's got to keep them all apart from one another, so it's, uh, that's good for them. Yeah, I like being in the band. That's, that's not politics now. But, but these days, the people who need to be kept apart are the two Labour members, surely. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was always the case. But we, we're, we're united in, uh, 
in our views of the future of the Labour Party, me and Kev. But I can't say anymore, as a shadow minister. Yeah. In case there's anyone in the audience uh, taking notes, yeah, we're united uh, together. No, definitely. <laughs> there's nothing between us, honest. Well, Relationship-wise? <laughs> heck of a scoop. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have MP4 uh, here this evening. We will end the show later tonight, folks, by giving away some wonderful Christmas treats. We have a signed copy of Saeed Avasi's book. We have a signed copy of Nick Clegg's book. We have uh, two signed copies of MP4's album, Cross Party. And we have a bottle of champagne signed by Nick Clegg and Saeed Avasi. We've got so many treats, I think everyone's getting something. So uh, we'll we'll just be handing them out on the way out. Um, But we have two phenomenal guests tonight. uh, Two politicians that I greatly admire, not only uh, for their careers, but for the manner in which they've conducted themselves in politics. Two exceptionally intellectual people, but two also very funny individuals as well. My first guest tonight is someone that I've interviewed briefly before, but I've always wanted to properly sit down with. She's a phenomenal politician. She's the former chair of the Conservative Party. Please give it up. For Saeed Avasi. Because you gotta have faith. Ooh, I gotta have faith. Because you gotta have faith. Ooh, I gotta have faith. Because you gotta have faith, faith, faith. Ooh, you gotta have faith, faith, faith. Saida, welcome to the show. I've just realised that the whole point of that joke was I was meant to say in the former Minister for Faith. <laughs> And you, uh, and you forgot. I only reminded you ten times. I know, people must have wondered what was... going to start the sermon. Yeah. You can take it out if you like. You could, yeah. Don't trash the place, fucking hell. Do you want a hand? You know, my ankle movement's not very good. My, uh, Your ankle movement's my not good? Wrist, my <laughs> wrist movement's not very good on this. There you go. Okay. There you go. Sider, welcome to the that show. Works. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too. Um... As a former minister for faith, did you, used, did you used to have to go to lots of Christmas parties? Um, I, I used to, you know, I love Christmas carols for me rather than pr- Christmas. I don't drink, so Christmas parties are a bit naff because you just stand around with loads of people who are pissed and you kind of think, I'm the only sober one in the room. But it, Christmas carols is, is the one for me. I used to love going to loads and loads of Christmas, car- Christmas carol con- uh, concerts and church services. And, and the sort of stuff MP4 and the sort of stuff. And also, we used to have Christmas carols in the office, so yeah, it was that, that's the kind of thing for me at Christmas. So how soon, because I, I put the Christmas tree up on the 30th of November this year, how soon do you think it's, it's okay as a former minister for the area? <laughs> when people, what is the law on when people should put up their Christmas tree? <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, it's like, it's like being like the Grand Mufti, isn't it? Um, I, can tell people, I can tell people when to put the Christmas tree up. Um, I mean, look, it, it's different. It, it just depends on whether you've got kids or not. I think if you've got kids, you're going to be having it up in, what, beginning of November, as soon as you start getting the Christmas toy story things coming on on the TV, adverts for toys. It's like, get the Christmas tree up so we can get the toys underneath it. But, I, I haven't got kids. What is the government view of a man <laughs> who has bought a singing dog ornament this year? I'm not in government anymore. It's a good job I don't have to comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's but you f- need to get a life. <laughs> <laughs> don't fucking... <laughs> they turned on me. I've got a mutiny on my hands. Uh, uh, Saida, uh, it's, been a, it's been a tumultuous, turbulent political year. Um, the Prime Minister has effectively lost her authority. She is uh, in office but not in power, as people say. How well do you know Theresa May? And, well, I mean, uh, to, to paraphrase the next question, how much are you prepared to slag her off? <laughs> <laughs> I 
that's basically the point of the whole interview, really. <laughs> Get down to it. Well, as I said, I don't drink, so I can't blame the alcohol tomorrow when we get the front pages. So, look, I don't think anybody actually knows Theresa May, and I think that's been part of the problem. Lots of, I mean, I've worked with her for nearly a decade, and and you never really ever get to know the person. I mean, she's very efficient, and she kind of, you know, does the job um, and gives the orders. But I'm not really sure ever anybody ever really gets to know the real human being behind Theresa May. So even when you were in cabinet together, would you ever try and get to know her? Do people make the effort? She, she doesn't really socialise, um, and she doesn't really kind of hang out in the bars, and she doesn't go and have coffee with you. And she's, she's just a really... Um, I, I, look, I, it's, <laughs> it's a season of goodwill. I'm not going to say nasty things. Um, I, I, just, I, I just think that the Prime Minister's job goes against everything in her personality. I just don't know why she went for the job. <laughs> It's like, it, it is the equivalent of me, a Muslim who eats halal, getting a job in a pig abattoir and then thinking, I don't really like this because I don't really like pigs. So it's kind of, <laughs> I just, oh, it's the I only thing that I could kind of compare it to. Uh, because I just think, you know, if you really, really don't like something, you just don't kind of go for that job, do you? No, so no. now I have just finished any career I was ever going to have in pig abattoirs, haven't I? Nobody's ever going to take me on. I'm just nobody's ever going to take me on now as a pig, in a pig abattoir. I just hope that in 50 years' time, when people study this period in history, that quote <laughs> is at the start of so many textbooks. <laughs> Theresa May, the abattoir question. <laughs> I don't think abattoir people are going to be offended by what you've said. I don't think no. abattoir monthly are in unless. They've snuck in again, the cheeky bastards. <laughs> They're not very subtle people, though. We'll no. be able to spot them. No, no. Um, what would you have done differently in that election campaign? Well, firstly, would you have called it at the time that she did? No, I wouldn't. I mean, she had she had everything to lose and, and, and nothing... I mean, it's one of those really weird elections where everybody said... Everybody lost it and everybody said they'd won it. And nobody won it. And, and we're in the mess that we are because of the fact that we had that election. We have no single... Authority. Nobody was given a mandate for a specific outcome on Brexit, which is what the election was all about. Um, and what, she's ve- what she was very good at was just kind of getting on with the job. And if she'd carried on steadily getting on with the job, rather than having to show personality in this election, something which is, I think, the hardest bit of the job for her, then I think she'd have done all right. But unfortunately, we ended up having, what was it, four, six weeks of that awful campaign? Um, and she, she, you know, lot, you know, the public didn't enjoy it, but she hated every minute of it as well. You could tell. But you're the sort of person, aren't you, that the Tories should be putting front and centre during a campaign like that, where you're asked to, to get more involved. Well, after tonight. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'll be putting you know, a sticker in the basement. Um, it's... Uh, I think the the campaign was all about Theresa. It wasn't about other people in the party. It wasn't even about people in the shadow cabinet. A decision was made that this was the way the campaign was going to run. It was going to run as a presidential campaign. But a presidential campaign has to run around a personality. And 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 no. And I'm look. I'm actually not being nasty to her when I say this. I'm not sure. I'm, she's not comfortable with people. And well, so, that's, but that's true. You can tell that by that by that face she pulls. So sort of every two minutes, there's the. 
<laughs> like some dark memory from her past has found its way. I just, I just, you know, it's, maybe if you spend like 20, 30 years in the Tory party, maybe I'll be doing that same face. <laughs> yeah, it's just, maybe it's just what happens to you after spending so much time in the past. But ultimately, look, I, I, what, she was a brilliant Home Secretary, and she, because she does the job well, she's got an eye for detail, she actually does read a brief, she likes to take proper advice. And I just think the Prime Minister's job, which is, a, I mean, look, you're a, you're a chairman, you've got, to have, you've got to be able to get on with people, you've got to get on with lots of people that you don't agree with, you've got to have the ability to bring people together, you've got to have the ability to take decisions, sometimes really bold decisions, and I just think that's not her forte, and I, I actually feel for her, because I, I do think she's probably deeply unhappy, and, you know, life's too short for any of us to be in, in jobs that make us deeply unhappy. Yeah. Sorry, I've upset you all. <laughs> but, this uh, is a yeah. therapy session. Yeah, do, do try and see your friends at Christmas, guys. It's <laughs> awfully cold outside. <laughs> um, I mean, if she wants someone to talk to, I'm here. Do you reckon she'd come on the show like this? No, of course. I mean, I have tried. But <laughs> no, no, she wouldn't. I mean, she she wouldn't. And and and, and to be fair, she's not a show woman. That's not what she's about. You know, she like I said, she's a, she's supposed. You know what what she what she's good at is just steadily getting on with the job. And and to be fair, I mean, a, a lot of people would have said, you know, post kind of Tony Blair, post David Cameron, that actually they weren't looking for a show person anymore. They wanted a really serious, stable, kind of sensible politician. And so we couldn't. I can understand why that's where we went, and we thought that was the that that was the leader. But that election campaign, I think, it just it. And and then we never saw Jeremy coming, did we? We kind of had written him off as a bit of a kind of dithery old granddad and he just kind of came back people like granddads though yeah and that's but i'm not, I'm not sure well, you get you, you might people. i mean yeah and and you know they're great people and they tell you lots of funny jokes and they're great to be around but you wouldn't get them to run the country would you <laughs> i don't know would you get your granddad to run the country i mean this, this part of the, not my granddad no um <laughs> but part of the but see, this is partly people's frustrations with politics. I think a lot of people would agree with what you're saying. And then they're, they're, they're looking at you tonight, they're listening to you tonight, and how charismatic and how enjoyable your company is and how you know, bright you are and everything. And they're thinking, well, why didn't, why didn't you stay in there a bit longer and try and become Prime Minister? I mean, no, well, first of all, you can't be Prime Minister from the House of Lords anyway, but also because for oh, me... but you can be, can't you? I think you You can't. You can't. Lord Liverpool. Um, was, and, uh, well, we will, we'll not have a debate on constitutional law, but you can't. Just take my word for it. Uh, and uh, but it's. Um, I think. For, look, I don't come from the world of politics. I came into this because I got really annoyed about something, and I thought, you know, I can either sit here and scream at the television, or I can play my part and get involved. But I think the one thing that I found in politics, and they're really simple questions, is: Do we say what we believe, and do we do what we say? And if you can't answer yes to those questions consistently or on a big issue of principle, which for me was the, the stuff which actually is quite topical today with what's going on with Mad Trump and Jerusalem, that actually if you can't answer those two questions with a yes most of the time, that made me quite cynical about politics because uh, politics is a pretty... Um, Pretty awful, godforsaken, soulless world. You know, let, it's not a. But most people, it is. I mean, it, you know, you're away from your family, especially if you're from the north. You're in here. You're away from your family. You're working these kind of odd hours. Most of the public absolutely hate you, and think you know you've got horns. I mean, no, this is the way we are seen by large members of the public. And I think if you're gonna if you're gonna live in this world, you know, inhabit this world of politics, then make it count. And if effectively you're standing up and saying things that you don't believe in 
or you're saying things to the public and you're not actually doing what you're saying, then hey, it's time to get out and get back and get a life. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, it was, it was, as you described the reasons why people hate politicians there, just watching it dawn on the faces of MP4 was actually quite, a, <laughs> <laughs> it's quite an emotional present moment. Present company, obviously, <laughs> not included in that list. Uh, you t- your book, um, The Enemy Within, is superb about, uh, uh, effectively about... Have you the, read it? The experience of, of Muslim... Have you read it? You say it's superb, have you read it? It really is a great read. And... Um, <laughs> Tell me what it says on page 150. I've read some very detailed reviews of it that let, uh, led, <laughs> led me to believe that I can speak with a certain amount of authority when I say it's definitely out in hardback. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I, you know, I, I am going <laughs> to... Fuck, you know. I don't do this to... Just cut it out of the podcast. No, 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 it's fine. It's, it's cool to leave it in. But there's a lot of great stories in there. I can't talk about it with any authority now. I've heard, according to the Evening Standard review of the, 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 this great book, which I, I have every faith that it is uh, superb, um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in there that, that's... Um, <laughs> I can't say it with the fucking read it now, can I? It's an amazing book, actually. <laughs> and, um, Hang on, have you read it? <laughs> no, the question you're supposed to ask me is, did you write it? <laughs> um, I mean, look, when you read politics, most people think there's a book. I'll just do this show on my own now. So, uh, <laughs> That's fine. I like to have a night off. So, uh, when, well, the reason I wrote this book, the reason I had to write this book, I mean, there's a, there's a really kind of serious thing behind this book, which is that when I, my, next year, we've been in this country for 70 years. When I say we, I mean the family have been in here for 70 years. Granddad came in 58. He'd served in the British Armed Forces. Both granddads had served in the British Armed Forces. He came over here to work in the mills. Dad kind of, you know, worked in the rag mills in Yorkshire. I did whatever I did, ended up serving my country at the top table. And then it was 2013, Drummer Lee Rigby was killed in, in London. He was murdered by terrorists. And after that, we set up a, 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 a task force to look at ways in which to deal with terrorism. And it was whilst I was on that task force that a right-wing commentator wrote, how can Britain deal with the war on terror when we've got Baroness Varsi, the enemy at the table? And I kind of thought, well, you know, f- the fact that what my granddads had done, what my dad had done, what I was done, after all of that, you're still saying to me you don't belong, we don't trust you. And like any insults that really hurt, and that really hurt, you know, I'm pretty thick-skinned. I'd grown up where, you know, you packy-bashing was what happened, and you got chased and you got beaten up, and I could deal with all of that. But actually, that hurt in a completely different way. And I thought, well, the way to deal with an insult that really hurts is to field it well. So I thought, this is my, this is my kind of response to that insult, to say that it was bullshit. And <laughs> I'd hopefully prove it in the book. It's not You're going to read it now. I, I really want to... I, I mean, I, I bought two copies. Um, um, the, it wasn't just uh, the opprobrium of, of people who, who wrote articles like that or, you know, racists, but also, uh, apparently, people within government suspected you of... Trying to, you know, there was a sort of conspiracy theory that you were part of a, an insurgent Islamist plot. Well, there was, a, there was an uh, article... I mean, look... Journalists wrote articles about this that, you know, I was somehow some closet sleeper cell. And um, I would say, you know, there was a moment when I had Her Majesty, the President of the Free World, Obama, 
and uh, David Cameron in the same room. And I didn't go off, so I'm the shitty sleeper cell in history. You know, I mean, if there was any moment, you know, it, you know, it took Homeland to a completely new level. You know, there was no dodgy little flicker that didn't go off. And I just kind of thought, well, you know, really how... Did you make it sound like you weren't sure whether you would or not? Yeah, yeah well, exactly. And I just kind of think, you know, this whole thing about you can't trust these Muslims, you know, they're a sleeper cell, they're there to take over. And I, part of that book, really, and there's a whole chapter in it called The Paranoid State, which is all about these kind of stupid conspiracy theories, which every day are peddled by the so-called respectable press, and actually, even in think tanks, and even amongst some politicians. Um, and I just, you know, I went back to being the lawyer in me, and, and really, you know, there are 100, 100 pages of evidence and research and citations, which basically, really slowly and academically and cleverly point out that it's bullshit. And I just think, well, you know, it's the only way of saying that this has got to be confronted, otherwise we're poisoning the public discourse on this issue. It's so important the way that the public discourse is handled, particularly from a government side. And as a, as a former Foreign Office Minister, how do you rate the job that the Foreign Secretary is doing in that regard? <laughs> clearly the epitome of diplomacy <laughs> considered thoughtful uh, informed i just couldn't have thought of anybody better to be foreign secretary <laughs> did you um, did you get on with him when you were in government no, everybody gets on with boris that's the, i mean that's a, that's a great thing about boris that actually you can disagree with lots of things that he does but most people do get on with him he's actually a really fun guy to be around uh, but he wasn't in government when I was in government. Um, so, yeah, we, we still get on. But when, <laughs> but when you see the situation we've got where we've got um, Nezanine Zaghari Ratcliffe out in, in Iran and, uh, you know, she said that she was, she was out there. He said that she was training teachers and she said, no, I was on holiday. I mean, has he, has he blown someone's cover there? Or badly briefed? or I mean, how do you explain a mistake like that? I mean, that is such a serious case, and I just think you've got to be so careful about anything you say. Nazneen's still in prison, she's still going through a trial, I mean, she, this, you know, we just don't know where that, that whole matter's going to go next. Uh, but the whole point of, of diplomacy is, is being able to find the right language at these <laughs> difficult times to make things better. Um, and, um, you know, unfortunately, that particular case showed that he didn't quite get it right. And is he, in terms of what he's like away from the cameras, is he always the same, or do you get a sense that he does turn up the show a bit when the cameras are on? No, I mean, he, he's genuinely a really funny, you know, kind of nice guy to be around. But is he slightly and more sensible away from the cameras? <laughs> 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 So who are we going to talk about next? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you about David Cameron, actually. Um, because he appointed you to Cabinet. Um, you were unsuccessful in getting elected. Honestly, anything I could ever have said about David, I'd take it all back, bring him back. I mean, <laughs> God, you know, there were moments when I thought, what? you know, everything that I ever thought was possibly wrong with the previous leadership, you know, it's all forgiven. <laughs> it's, I mean... Whatever you say about the guy, and you know, okay, he made mistakes, and lots of things that we disagreed about. You know, some of it is documented in the book, uh, but he did have this amazing ability to to reach out to people. Um, you know, he may even managed to convince the Lib Dems to go into and you know coalition with us and self harm and kind of <laughs> and, 
I'm kind of so, sorry, Nick. I know it's coming out next. But, you know, he did have this amazing ability to bring people together. And he genuinely had this real sense of being able to, to run a team and he trusted people. And, and you know, he, he was always approachable. So, yeah. But a lot of people remember, you know, the moment they were appointed to cabinet. You know, they were on the phone and the number 10 calls up. What was it like for you? Well, it's really, it's really weird because you never know when this call is going to come. And we took ages to form this coalition. And so when I got the call, um, I was buying tights, and, <laughs> as you do. And um, the ladies well, don't understand. That's <laughs> oh, what you tell us. Um, so, we, so we had... So I was buying... So I was buying tights, and they said, oh, the Prime Minister would like to see you. And I went, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to finish buying tights. I went, no, no, now. So I was like, okay, well, this is such a good bargain. Anyway, I put them down, toddled off without the tights, walked in, um, and then you get called into this huge room, this, the cabinet room, and, um, and nobody else is there. The Prime Minister sat at one end, and you're sat at the other end. It's like one of those really weird kind of Russian dining tables where there's, like, you and the mafia at the other end. And, um, and so you, I sat down, and he said to me, oh, you know, I want to appoint you as... Uh, and my dad, you're like, typically like dad's, I'd been on the phone constantly, what do you think you're going to get? What do you? I said, Dad, I'll ring you, I'll ring you as soon as I get out. And um, so I went in, and he said, I'd like you to be Minister Without Portfolio. And I thought, I went, oh, thank you, Prime Minister. And I remember thinking, what the fuck is that? I was like, I'm really sorry. I just remember thinking, God, I don't even know what this job is. It doesn't even have a job description. I mean, it's basically saying you've got a job, but you don't really have a job. And, and I just thought, and I just thought, okay. And I went, thank you, Prime Minister. And um, so I kind of walked out. And my dad's on the phone saying, what did you get? And I said, I'll ring you back, Dad, I'll ring you back. So I kind of Googled minister without portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> and and get what, guess what popped up? Peter Mandelson. Because <laughs> he was the last minister without portfolio. And I thought, hmm, well, I might have a job without a job description. But in the end, Peter had every job in cabinet, didn't he? <laughs> so I thought, this is a good start, the start of the dark arts. Um, so... <laughs> I said to, so I said to, uh, so I rang my dad up and he said, well, what's the job? And I said, well, David said he just wants me to do anything I want to do whenever I want to do it. So it's kind of without portfolio, but it's every portfolio. And he went, oh, he said, well, how do I explain that? How do I explain that to kind of all my friends and the clan back in Pakistan and who will be kind of on the phones? And I said, just, just tell them that it's David and then it's her and that's it really, you know? <laughs> So, so dad dined out on this for, for years, you know, and kept saying, oh, it's David, and then it, it's just my daughter after that, you know, she's practically running the country. <laughs> oh, my word. I, I mean, he eventually found out that wasn't the case, though, did he? <laughs> just, just don't shatter the dream. Let me believe that I was running the country. Uh, you mentioned that you were in uh, coalition there. We have uh, another wonderful guest for you tonight. He was deputy prime minister in that coalition. He's the man who's single-handedly trying to prevent Brexit. Please welcome Mr. Nick Clegg. Ever Some people want a joke that was topical about five years ago. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Nick Clegg.
We're going to say goodbye to MP4, who will join us later on the show. For now, ladies and gentlemen, please show your love for the greatest band in the universe, MP4! So, Nick, welcome to the show. Yes, hello. <laughs> you do know what this is, right? Yes. You're checking your texts already. Oh, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm, it was going to go off. No, right, it's fine. Okay. Uh, well, welcome to the show. Your, your book is out, um, How to Stop Brexit and Make Britain Great Again. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've, I've read this one. Um, <laughs> you can tell well, it's why, just, kind of. <laughs> well... <laughs> span oh. it's not that big <laughs> not the first time I've said that on the stage anyway um, <laughs> anyway moving swiftly on um, I read the book it's superb and there are a lot of us out there sorry on the... can you hear that too? what uh, I've read the book it's super... <laughs> superb right right sorry yep. I mean you've, I'm sure you've had better quotes for it than I've read the book <laughs> well, judging by your performance <laughs> I've read it, Sir John Major. Uh, in fact, he gives you... Let's start with John Major, because he gives you a lovely quote on the back. He says, People of all political persuasions owe Nick Clegg a debt that I have no doubt history will acknowledge. Oh. It's nice, it's nice, isn't it? Well, did he... Get, what, let's have a look at the quote on the back of yours. Uh, the conclusion of this thoughtful and passionate book offers hope amid the gloom, says David Anderson. Who is David Anderson? <laughs> He's an independent reviewer of terrorism legislation. <laughs> so, John Major must have been busy when yours came out. So <laughs> um, but a lot of people are feeling powerless at the moment, aren't they? This is a common theme. Not just, yeah. and it's not just about people who voted Remain or indeed voted Leave. There is a sense that at the moment people feel powerless, whether they support one of the two or three parties or not. Um, and it feels like there's sort of a desire for leadership somewhere. Do you feel yourself that you're, you're stepping into a leadership role with, with a handbook like this? No, no, not, to, not remote, remotely. No, no, no. I, uh, but I think the powerlessness thing is, is uh, particularly uh, pernicious when it comes to Brexit. Because, uh, I mean, one of the many, many things that the whole kind of Brexit elite in large parts of our press have been brilliantly successful at doing in, in, in recent years is they just create these kind of myths which suddenly become the truth. And the myth is, certainly if you sort of listen to the kind of hysterical stuff in the Daily Mail and the Telegraph and the Sun, is that everyone, perhaps with the exception of me and Ken Clark, voted for Brexit. And there was this overwhelming vote. Uh, and the country as one rose up in revolt against, you know, ghastly people like me and uh, uh, rejected the metropolitan liberal elite. Uh, it's, you know, we had a very, very finely balanced outcome of that. There's only 650,000 votes in it. 70% of young people voted a different way to the winning side. The losing side... 16.1 million voters, that is more voters than have ever voted for a winning governing party. And so I just think one of the things that's so dangerous about this sense of powerlessness is that it means as the government, I think, very foolishly and very illegitimately tries to kind of, how can I put it, sort of airbrush out of the equation altogether the hopes, the dreams and the aspirations of the losing side it's very dangerous to do that in a, in, a, in a democracy because eventually you'll get a reaction to that. People don't want to be told... You can't say to half the voting public in a mature democracy such as Britain, you just don't count anymore because you are just very marginally on the losing side. So that's why one of the reasons I wrote the book is to actually try and point out to people there's a lot they can still do and there's a plenty of time for us still to change our minds and change course. 
The first thing you suggest people do, actually, is, is join the Labour Party. Not quite. Uh, <laughs> well, no, but I do, I, do, I do think Jeremy Corbyn is, uh, in many ways, right now, the most important political figure in all of this. I mean, look, if... if uh, well, what time is it now? It's 10 o'clock. Well, let, let, let's, say, let's say if uh, a couple of hours ago he'd given a, an interview to, to Laura Koonsberg, right? And, uh, uh, and on the evening, 10 o'clock evening news today, exclusive interview with Jeremy Corbyn, and he said to Laura Koonsberg, I've been looking at this farce in the government, uh, I've been listening to business, I've listened to trade unions, I've listened to working men and women up and down the country, I've listened to my party, and I've come to the conclusion, I, Jeremy Corbyn, leader of the Labour Party, announce now, this evening, that uh, I will instruct every Labour MP to vote against anything which takes us out of the single market and the customs union, right? Not even block Brexit. If he said that, he would stop the government's current negotiating uh, strategy dead in its tracks, dead in its tracks, immediately. So there's just, there's much, the, the government doesn't have a majority. We keep, people, you know, keep forgetting that. They didn't win. No one won, as, as Saida said earlier. They're very, very fragile. And I think if, if Corbyn had the courage of the pro-European convictions of many of his MPs, and certainly many of his, his so, I mean, all these young people waving banners in favour of Glastonbury, all these are very, very pro-European kind of, uh, folk. If he only reflected what they felt, he could honestly change the direction of this country very, very easily, in my view. Uh, and he may, it does feel, I talked to a number of Labour MPs that say, actually, there is a sense that they're letting public opinion get there first, yes. and they don't want to be seen to be yes. pressing it. So that maybe there's a strategic or yeah. at least a tactical uh, element there. Um, you're absolutely right that no one won the election, but without wanting to run it, Nick, some people definitely lost. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. How funny you might read that. <laughs> I remember interviewing you after the 2015 election where that felt bad. Yes. <laughs> uh, did you see the defeat coming in, in, in your own seat in Sheffield? Yeah, yeah, I remember the precise moment when I, when I thought, oh dear, I'm in trouble. <laughs> it's so for those of you who, uh, who, who don't know uh, Sheffield or the bit of Sheffield I've represented for 12 years, Southwest Sheffield, it was, it's a seat where uh, it was becoming an increasingly marginal seat between the Liberal Democrats and Labour, and Labour was sort of catching up, catching up, catching up. And I was basically clinging on from one election to the next by persuading lots of uh, Conservative voters to sort of say, well, look, better the devil you know rather than uh, the... the, the, Because as as, as Saida will know, there's nothing more anti-Labour than Northern Conservative voters. Um, And and so I would say, well, you know, it's up to you. What do you want? You know, the Labour... Anyway, so that's that's called tactical voting, squeezing uh, the the vote of the party that knows it's not going to win. Anyway, and I remember speaking to a lady... She was standing outside a bungalow in a well-to-do part with lots of retirees in southwest, so suburban part of southwest Sheffield. And she said to me, uh, I don't forget, she said, um, oh, hello, Nick, she said cheerily. Yes, no, I voted for you in the last two or three elections, and I'll vote for you in the next one, but I'm not going to vote for you in this one. Uh, and oh, by the way, thank you very much for everything you've done to help resurface our local pavements and roads and so on. I said, oh, but no, well, you don't do that, because, uh, you know, if everyone does that, that, there won't be a next time, Mrs. Smith, whatever her name was. I said, why, why are you not going to vote? She said, well, you're just being so beastly to Theresa about Brexit. You must support her. You must now support Theresa. I remember her saying, she talked about Theresa, she was sort of standing next to us. Um, and I said, but you do realise if you vote for me, then, or not for me, vote for the Conservative, but it's quite likely you'll get a Labour candidate. 
And Labour MP said, oh, no, dear, don't worry, you'll win anyway. <laughs> and, and, so, and this just basically happened uh, with lots and lots of people in, in places like that. So the, actually the weird thing, I remember the press saying, oh, the students have finally got their revenge about tuition fees and the rest of it. And actually nothing to do with it. The Labour vote went up a bit. The, 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 the Labour vote went up a bit. The Lib Dem vote didn't go down very much. The Tory vote doubled. It was extraordinary. So anyway, there you go, that's what did me. So I remember vividly the moment when I thought I was in trouble. It's always... And hasn't my successor turned out to be such a nice chap? <laughs> <laughs> hasn't he been, you know... He embodies, he embodies the progressive principles that he told... He told voters I was some ghastly member of the establishment and he was the true champion of progressive values. What a bunch of horseshit. <laughs> oh. And, uh, by the way, people knew that. People knew that. Just, uh, I mean... Anyway, this is, sorry, this is all getting local sort of stuff. But pe- everyone in Sheffield knew this guy. Uh, pretty un- you can talk about it. We can, we're all listening. <laughs> You're, uh, can I hold your hand? Yeah, you can, you, you can talk about it. Um, anyway, no, no I, I went round about it. But well, well uh, I think you, you, Jared O'Mara was the, was the chap who yep. defeated you, then as sort of gone quiet after allegations of things that he posted before he was a member of parliament and, uh, and all the rest of it. Um, uh, was he nice to you on the campaign trail? I didn't see hide or hair of him. In the one local hustings we had, he didn't even turn up. So I was, I was seeing all these leaflets saying, you know, I'm the great local champion, Clegg is this great interloper from elsewhere, <laughs> even though I'd been an MP there for 12, 12 years. He didn't even turn up at the local house. But listen... He was too busy things... fighting down the nightclub. Well, yes, <laughs> possibly, possibly. But, um, but uh, uh, no, I mean, to be, look, I, I don't think he expected he was going to win at the outset in order the Labour Party, but the only thing which slightly has irritated me in recent weeks is that sort of the Labour Party as an organisation has said, oh, shock, horror, we didn't know this about it. Everybody in Sheffield knew that there was sort of things that he'd been... It was an open secret in, in, in Sheffield. Anyway, but they, there you go. They'll have to answer for that um, in, in, the, in the next few weeks and months. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Without wanting to dwell on the the pain of it, you know, election night TV is so dramatic precisely because big characters do lose their seats. You know, totemic uh, figures in British politics. Were you there for Bortillo? Well, yeah. indeed. Were well, you there for Clegg? Yes, exactly. Well, it, well, it kind of, you know, you, Portillo was 97, yes. Balls was 15, yes. and in a way, Clegg was, was 17. Right, okay. Um, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's how I remember it. Uh, is it very sad. <laughs> no. But, but when you're there on that, you know, and I've been to election counts, mm. when you're there on that stage, and no one really knows what it's like apart from the candidate, particularly when you've been the MP for the seat, what is going through your mind? Because you already know the result, mm. you've been told, in case you want to recount. So you, you mount the stage, <laughs> and then the result is read out. Are you thinking, oh my God, the world is watching? 
Or is the emotion overwhelming and you don't really think about what the people behind the lens are thinking? Um, I I have to say to you, I found 2015 a lot harder than 2017. I mean, in the privacy of this intimate surroundings, I I probably, on reflection, shouldn't have stood this this year. My heart wasn't really in it. One of my kids was very ill. I just wasn't really engaged in it. And I frankly didn't think I was going to stand again after 2015. I was sort of thinking about leaving politics anyway, but I just felt the snap election happened. No one, you know, I was... Uh, clearly completely wrongly persuaded by my local party that only I could hold the Labour Party at bay and all this kind of stuff. And also, actually, to, to be more precise, in that small interregnum parliament of which I've been a part, between, uh, a part between 2017 and this year, 17, I discovered that other than, actually, as I mentioned him earlier, other than Ken Clark and myself, no one was getting up in these debates in Brexit and just bluntly saying, kind of what a bonkers thing we're doing. And so I thought, well, maybe that's a useful role to carry on. But on reflection, actually, you know, maybe my, my heart wasn't sort of properly in it. But whereas 2015, obviously, was a sort of crushing blow after working you know, incredibly hard for half a decade. For, you know, I, of course, think, believe this for, you know, for the right kind of motives. Maybe not perfectly, maybe made mistakes. But anyway, so that was hard. This, th- so in the count in 2017, I just thought to myself, OK, so this is the last time I'm going to say, well, it's the only time I'm going to say something publicly about. You know about standing down and what it was like to be an MP. So I, you focus on what you say, and you know, just so you focus on the words a bit, uh, and then other stuff. You know, our kids are in London, so you used to ring them, to tell them, so they don't get caught out by the news when they go to school the following morning. So stuff like that. I, I, it's only afterwards that you sort of think through a lot of this stuff because you're absolutely knackered, of course, as everybody is at the end of an election campaign anyway. So it's not a particular, it's not a, it's not a moment for great reflection. It's, no. it's, a, it's a sort of, it's a moment for reflexes rather than reflection. Do, do, do any positives occur to you at the time? Do you think, well, I'll probably get a book out of it. Uh, <laughs> catch one line of duty now. <laughs> well, I have caught up on a lot of next, <laughs> Netflix series. I'm halfway through Breaking Bad, which I could never see when I was in government. God, it's brilliant, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> um, though I find that episode about the fly in the laboratory. Does anyone know this? Very yeah, odd. yeah, yeah. What's all that about? Just slightly surreal, isn't it? Yeah. For a whole episode, it's like, I don't care about the fly. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we digress. Uh, we digress. No, it's uh, quite nice. What else have you been watching on Netflix? Uh, I thought Ozark was brilliant. Anyone seen Ozark? Amazing. Uh, I thought Big Little Lies was very good. I do do other things in my life, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't on Netflix, was it? That's something else. Uh, so those are the three series. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of... We, we haven't touched that much on Christmas yet. Have you put your Christmas tree up yet? No. Oh, you say that quite defiantly. No, just it's an answer. It's just, <laughs> just a fact. You really looked at me when you said it like, no. <laughs> no. No, I, maybe I say it out of a sense of guilt, actually, because I sort of mm. feel our kids should, you know, they're, they're kind of saying, when are we going to put the... No, it's going to happen this weekend. Day after tomorrow. It will happen. <laughs> and do you go for a real tree, or do you just get one from Yeah, no, real tree. Real tree. Yeah, non-drop needles. All right, excellent. Posh one. What? A posh one. No, just non-drop needles. <laughs> it's his problem. It's just, you know... <laughs> It's just nice to sort of paint the picture of, you know, okay. the yeah. real Nick Clay. You're oh, just really? having a class war now, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, no, it's not. No, nothing to do with, nothing to do with class at all. I don't have an issue with that at do you all, want me actually. To, should I tell you where I buy the Christmas tree? Yeah. There's a place around next to the, um, uh, the uh, sports centre in Putney. They sell non-drop and drop needle trees. Small price difference between the two. <laughs> Give them a plug. Goes with these Waitrose... 
Oh, we didn't do the, the crackers. Waitrose, uh, crackers. These all are waitrose very, crackers. All very, very southwest London middle class. Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, <laughs> northwest here. Um, but I, no, Putney's. <laughs> all right. Well, I got we had um, crackers last year, but I got them from the pound shop, and the jokes actually didn't make any sense. <laughs> I, people have since tweeted me the joke that they got as well, and it, it like it grammatically didn't make any sense. <laughs> It was like, what is glue? And then it was penguin or something. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so anyway, we should have done this at the start. Let's pull a crack and then we can each tell the joke. So Saida. Saida won that one. You can pop the hat on if you like. And it's Waitrose, so there should be good treats in there as well. Oh. Not again. What's glue? What's glue? <laughs> yeah. It's in French. Um. <laughs> What do, what do you call a cow that plays the guitar? A, mu, a musician. A musician. Fucking hell, it's going down worse than some of my stuff. It's actually, I don't think this is spelt right. Is this spelt right? Is my eyes? Oh, yeah, you've got it's a hat. Just, oh, I've got a hat. You, you root around in there for oh, your goodies. Oh, song. Oh, there's a song. Go on, sing it. No, it's Candle in the Wind. You're going to have to sing that. What? Oh, that's for charades. Oh, is it? Yeah, I think it'd be a bit much to commit to that. Oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's happened to British sa- satire. I just saw Saeed Avasi trying to mind Big Little Lies. <laughs> and what was the, what was the gift? Do you have to wear a red hat? Is there blue in there? Well, let's see what... <laughs> oh. You're good at this. Were you cheating by over-pinching? Because it's just like, there's... Just, just like the coalition with another conservative... <laughs> What have you got? Ah, oh, no, 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 no. Oh! Oh! That's amazing. That's amazing. I can't believe that. That's a little clapper thing that, um... be quite handy for you, that, Nick. Well, let me look at the, um... <laughs> let me look at the... Let me look at the... No, we've done with the joke. Oh, where's the joke? Oh, yeah, here we go. Nick wants to tell his joke. It's like a proper... Read out my joke. Oh God! <laughs> what did baby corn say to mummy corn? Oh. Where's popcorn? <laughs> did you know that? Someone down here. Where's popcorn? What? What? Uh, and you got a clapper? Can you just do this one in the hope that I win one? Is that all right? If you have to win this one. Yeah. Well, I'd like to. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> Fucking hell! You know. Uh, Muslims are just good with kind of things that explode. <laughs> you get this you, you can make that joke, but no one else can on this yeah. stage. If I'd have said that, that would have shut me you down. You would have been in serious trouble. I blue hat. I didn't even... Oh, there you go. Okay, that sort of works, eh? There you go. It's meant to be. And is there a joke in there? I could do with a few. There you go. There we are. What do you get from a pampered cow? Spoiled milk. Oh. These are fucking waitress. What's it all about cows? Although the charade for the movie, charade, is the Iron Lady. Oh, oh so they must have known. I didn't get a present in there, did I? Hang on a second. Oh, it's a key ring <laughs> with a spring on it. Why would you need a spring on it? I've got no idea, Cider. I didn't make them, but... Um, <laughs> So, uh, when we, when, let's just get back serious again. Um, during the coalition years, how much did you guys deal with each other? 
A bit. I mean, uh, I think what tended to happen is I probably only... I paths would cross when there was usually something going wrong. <laughs> that was sort of... That, was the ten, that tended to be the way thing, you know, the sort of system worked. So, Quite often, then. What? <laughs> well, <laughs> well there, there, were, there, were, there were frequent times when, when, uh, when I would sort of support Saeed and what she was doing against conservative colleagues. So for me, of course, it was, a, it was an extraordinary uh, spectacle, because I won't bore you the way kind of the whole Whitehall thing works, but uh, I chaired something called the Home Affairs Committee. So you have all these different cabinet committees, and this was a, one of the sort of bigger committees that dealt with a lot of, sort of domestic policy, from education to interfaith stuff, from social care to local government financing. And frequently, there were these vicious sort of battles between Saida and her conservative colleagues, or between Michael Gove and Theresa May about immigration, whatever, and I had to sort of adjudicate between these, uh, in these arguments. You wouldn't so, adjudicate. You were my partner in crime. I Come was. On. Let's I was. just admit this. We used to have clandestine meetings. We used to deal with everything behind closed doors. Let's just kind <laughs> yeah. of put it out there. <laughs> We used to send little text messages. Actually, I, can, I have to say this. He was one of the nicest... He was probably the nicest person around that cabinet table. And I can honestly say that. And your book heart. is superb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I've read it. Have you? Yes. <laughs> I will. So would it, would it ever... I mean, obviously in politics, get here behind the scenes. In these cabinet committees and subcommittees, would it ever get... Heated or nasty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I remember once um, uh, uh, Michael Gove, not my most favourite uh, cabinet minister at the time, and Chris Grayling, I think it was, tried to bounce me and everybody else into... Uh, oh, that was a heck of a st- <laughs> What? <laughs> when you said they tried to bounce me, I was no, like, oh, no, 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 no. Got on violent. Their, on their knee or something. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, anyway, they tried, I remember they tried to... Um, they put out to the tabloids something about how they were going to... Uh, introduced new, tougher penalties on knife crime because there'd been an awful incident of knife, knife crime at the time immediately, as ever, quite understandably. People go, something's going to be done, tighten the law, you know, bang people, more people up in prison and so on. And not just me, but other people said, that's absolutely no way, we're not going to do it like that. You've got to look at it, you know, just simply a knee-jerk response. And it just got so out of hand. I just remember saying, right, meeting's finished, so I just walked out. So, you know, it, it, of course it gets heated. People care, I mean, that, in a sense, that's a a sign of the fact that people care and people feel very strongly about this stuff. But does it get, was it getting to the point where people go, oh, fucking hell, Michael, <laughs> every week? We try and talk about this in a, in a calm way. And he, once, he, he once hid in a loo, um, <laughs> refusing to speak to David Laws, who was trying to speak to him on my behalf, and he just wouldn't come out of the loo. So it's a very mature condu- way of conducting government business. And th- that was inside number 10? No, 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 no. That was, I don't know precisely where the loo was, but it, I, think, <laughs> I think it was the Department for Education. Yeah. Did you have, I mean, you had some uh, interesting times, Saida, when you, when you were chair of the Conservative Party. And we, we, we touched on some of the sort of forces within the party that, were, that made life difficult for you. Uh, you had to deal with people like Roger Helmer, who defected to, to UKIP. Would some of those meetings get particularly testy? Look, I, th- I think for some... Uh, the great thing about what David did was he really wanted to change the party, he wanted to change the faces in the party, he wanted to make it you know, look and feel like today's Britain. And there was a genuine movement, not just with David, but a whole group of people within the party felt like we had to come into the 21st century. And, but that was difficult for people like Roger Helmer, whose views on women and 
gay communities and everything is pretty much out there. And it must have been hard. I mean, look, I'm not excusing them, but it must have been hard to suddenly find that some, you know, opinionated working class brown woman from Yorkshire is suddenly chairman of the party and they're used to Norman Tebbit. I mean, God, what's happened? You know, the world's fallen apart for them. And, and you know, not only do I come along and then I say to them, well, I'll probably fail the Tebbit, Tebbit cricket test whilst I'm at it. You know, it was just, I think everything about me was just difficult uh, for some people in the party. But change always is. Well, you say he tried to drag the Conservative Party into the 21st century. I mean, some of them would have taken a job getting dragged into the 19th century. Uh, and, look, he, and, and let's not forget, he did some amazing stuff, I mean, around equal marriage. He did, you know, the number of women in Parliament, black and Asian minority ethnic people within the party. I mean, he genuinely did push this party into a, a different place. And then, you know, and then we had that bloody awful mayoral election and it took us right back to where we were, you know, four, five, six years ago. So the, the mayor one where Zach Goldsmith uh, campaigns against Sadiq Khan in a, in a sort of dreadful way with propaganda about what would happen to people's valuables sent out yeah, to different I mean, it was really communities. Odd, wasn't it was very it? peculiar. Did you pick up the phone to Zach and and, I and, did. A, and what did you say to him? I just said to him, I, I said, "Look, this is I'll not be Zach, you." I'll be Zach. I'll be Zach. <laughs> you could never be Zach. <laughs> Well, I thought, I thought the slogan was ridiculous because it was back Zach, and then it sounds like and crack. <laughs> <laughs> back Zach and crack on with the job. Um, but I'll be... Because he's, 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 he's frightfully posh. He's so posh, he's stupid, isn't he, really? Is this no, a- you know, he's actually... Or, the Zach I knew before the mayoral election yeah. was a thoroughly decent guy, really kind of had some strong views, principled... But actually, considering he's very much part of the establishment, came across across as very non-establishment. You know, issues around um, the economy, green issues, all of those things were really mattered to him. And actually, I felt understood the different diverse communities that made yeah. London. So when we selected him, I actually thought, brilliant, this is a great candidate. And then he just kind of it was almost as if he was possessed by something complete. I mean, he completely changed. I mean, I wasn't the only one. His sister Jemima was pulling her hair out. We were all looking at. Zach, and I thought, I honestly thought it was the dark arts at play and that somehow this wasn't actually about winning the election, but this was actually about destroying Zach. So at the end of it, he was left with, no, and I even put that out. I said, are we trying to win the mayoral election? Are we trying to ruin Zach in all of this? But in the end, it was his campaign. And if you put your, if you put your name to a campaign, however vile it is, then you have to take responsibility for that campaign. And I think a lot of people were really disappointed in what they saw in him. Well, he's always been, uh, he's always struck me as a sort of A-level Tory, that he knows he's a Tory, but he can't quite yet fully explain why. And he, and he, he will say things, I mean, I've seen him say things like, no, I I think if you, if you talk to businesses, they, they wouldn't underpay their staff because the staff would get angry and why would they want that? Well, maybe, maybe the people who run the business want to make money, Zach. No, I, I think most people are pretty reasonable. I, 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 oh, come on, mate. You know. So when you rang him up, he's there. I'll, I'll be Zach. I'll go, oh, um, hi, Saida. How's it going? You've, you've just rang me up. Oh, you, I just rang yeah, you yeah. up. All right, okay. So hi, do I have to get the phone thing as yeah. well? Hi, Saida. It's Zach. Um, thanks for calling, you, even though you just seem to have forgotten. Have you, is this a pocket dial? <laughs> I think she's on the train. <laughs> Hello, Saida. <laughs> I can't do this. 
So what did you say to him? I basically said to him, look, this isn't you. I just don't recognise you in this campaign. What's this campaign about? Surely you can't believe that somehow Sadiq Khan is some sort of weird closet sleeper cell Islamist entryist, crazy weird guy. I said, you know, what are we kind of saying about him? And he said, oh, no, you know, you don't understand. I'm really concerned about some of the statements that you made. And I just said, look, you know, if you think Sadiq Khan, if, forget what, whatever we think about Sadiq's politics, and there's lots of things I would disagree with him on, but if what we're attacking Sadiq for is because he's not the right kind of Muslim, then guys, game over. There's no right kind of Muslim. If he's not the right kind of Muslim, there is no right kind of Muslim left. And I just said to him, I said, look, you know, look at his voting record. Look at the way he's actually challenged the extreme elements within sections of the Muslim communities. And, he's, and yet we're still trying to paint him as this sign of you can't trust him. And I said, you shouldn't be part of this, you know, quite divisive campaign. And lots of people uh, left the party during that campaign, people who come into the party from all sorts of backgrounds because they felt the party had changed. I mean, he just, I mean, that moment retoxified the party in a huge way. But, but David Cameron repeated some of those claims that uh, promised us questions, didn't he? He was, he yeah. was sending it to the And then Michael questions. Fallon did. And then Michael Fallon was sued for it and he had to pay damages for it. I mean, it was just such a mess. And then Theresa repeated them before the Home, Home Affairs Select Committee. I mean, it was just such a terrible campaign that was run. And yet we kind of got onto this treadmill and we just failed to get off it. It was, uh, how is he now, Zach? Have you spoken to him since? <laughs> I, just, I, I just don't think I'm his best friend anymore. <laughs> That's understandable. Um, it's interesting, you know, the, the forces that are within the Conservative Party. When you, you resigned over the Israel-Gaza issue in, in 2014, um, I wonder, actually, whether was that the tip of the iceberg? Were you sort of growing... Were you sort of falling out of love with the Tory party the, the closer you got to the top of it? No, I mean, look, two things happened. First of all, you know, I, I get asked this question, what happened between, you know, did you, how did you move away from the Tory party? And I said, well, go back, and I, I do that in the book, actually. I repeat speeches that David Cameron was making in 2006 and seven and eight, and then look at what he was saying four or five years later, and he changed the party moved. The party moved from where we were. So I didn't actually change. I was exactly where we were on the campaign that we were fighting back in 2006, 7, 8, Big Society, Compassionate Conservatives, all of that stuff, which was very much what I thought this new Conservative Party was about. And a lot of that was ditched. The Big Society kind of fell out. We, you know, and, and, and even on the issues that are, you know, the counterterrorism stuff that I became quite heavily involved in, he moved his position. Um, and, and, you know, you saw that happening in government. Um, but I think for me, what happened at the time of the resignation was that look, I'm a human rights lawyer. I've, I've, you know, this is, I don't think human rights is just something you kind of serve up when countries you don't like come to tea. I, I fundamentally think this is an essential part of who we are. It's our values. It defines us. And I just felt that at that moment in time, there was absolutely nothing that we said. Lots of countries around the world do really awful things to their own citizens, right? That's the reality of the world that we live in. I'm not interested in what countries are doing to their own citizens. First and foremost, I'm interested in my country's response to what those countries are doing to their own citizens. And at that moment in time, we just couldn't even find the, the words to say how we felt. And all our values about international accountability, international justice, um, issues around war crimes, international organizations having a stake in these um, disputes, all of that was just thrown out of the window. And I realized that I was neither saying what I believed. When I looked at the government lines, they were not saying what I believed, and we were not doing what we were saying, and, and it was therefore time to go. Uh, I mean, it is, you say you write it in the book. It's my favorite chapter in the book. Uh, <laughs> 
But it's very important. It was, it, was a, it was a big issue of principle for you. I mean, a lot of people must say this to you, Saida. Given where you grew up, given what you say your values are, were you ever tempted to join the Labour Party? I wasn't actually, and to be fair, I mean, certainly during my teen years, and uh, <laughs> I'm absolutely petrified, there's going to be some photos of me on some poll tax demo that are going to come to light at some point, but I mean, for me, it was all about the issues, so I wasn't really a party political animal, um, and so, if, you know, if there were issues, I would work with lots of people from lots of different political backgrounds on, on those issues, but when I came to join a party in my you know, late twenties. I, I felt for me the place was the Conservative Party, and and still, still is. I mean, the party's lost its way a little bit, but then so has Labour. There are so many people within the Labour Party who say, "Well, this is not the party that I thought it was." And I think people would lie if they said that there is one party that represents everything about them. There's always going to be disagreements. There's all you know, internal politics will always be that way. And I think people can't say, well, this just means I think in a centre-right way on everything and I think in a centre-left way and everything. It's not that clear-cut. And we found that during the coalition where lots of times it wouldn't be Tories versus Lib Dems, it would be some Lib Dems and some Tories versus other Lib Dems and other Tories. So I think people divide on, uh, in, in different ways on different issues. But I, I just think my party's got to find its way back into the centre ground. Obviously, the big issue is, is still is Brexit. Nick, this is a question that people have uh, spent a lot of time thinking about. In a Brexit election, when the Lib Dems were the only UK-wide pro-European party, why was the result so bad? I think partly because I, I don't think it made much sense in the immediate aftermath of the referendum to make as the centrepiece of your appeal to voters... Tim Farron. <laughs> no... No, don't finish my sentences for me. Um, I don't think it made much sense. I don't think it made much sense to say to people, you know, vote Lib Dem to have another vote sometime in the future in unspecified circumstances about something we've just had a vote about. That may well be how it turns out in, in the country. I think it may very well turn out to be the case. And in the long run, you can't, you can't countermand a vote of the British people other than by way of another vote of the British people. But I think, it, I think just to do that so, so, you know, so quickly after the referendum just doesn't make sense to voters. But, you know, mo- of course, there are a bunch of fanatical people like me who believe we should stay in the European Union, a bunch of people who fanatically believe we should stay out of the European Union come, come hell, or, you know, hell or high water. The vast majority of voters don't actually care about the issue very much compared to other things which they care about more. We're probably rather non-plus that they were asked to you know, vote at all on the subject in the referendum. Now just wish it would just sort of go away. Can't people just get on with it? Hasn't it happened? Shouldn't it just happen? They're a little bit worried that it's all a bit more acrimonious and complicated than they were told. And so I just think if you go to, if you go to voters in that, you know, with, with that state of mind and sort of say, vote for us, as I say, to have another vote about something you just voted on in some unspecified time, it just, it's, just, it's, it's, too, it's too remote. Um, and so I think that was a, probably, with hindsight, a mistake. In terms of the future of the Lib Dems now, the, the, the whippersnapper, the new leader, the <laughs> that breath of stale air. Uh, I'm, being, I'm being cruel, actually, because he is, he's, a, he's a decent manager in events. Um, is it fair to say that you and he struggled a bit during the coalition years? Uh, not struggle. I mean, he, he, I mean, you know, everyone's different. We were, we were saying actually earlier at the backstage that to, I was saying to the guys, that it's a quite interesting thing is that all three leaders of the of the, the Labour, you know, two big parties, Labour and the Conservative, and the Liberal Democrats—they're all actually indiv- they're all different, but they're all 
they're all individuals who so they're not they're not natural team players. Actually, none of them. T- Theresa May wasn't. Jeremy Corbyn, I don't think, actually is. Uh, Vince, you know, Vince liked to sort of do his own sort of stuff. And and politics certainly when you're under pressure and when you're kind of fighting to do stuff under a great deal of countervailing pressure, which obviously as the leader of the smaller party uh, in a coalition I was, you know. It's it's a team sport. It's a it's a it's a it's a rough it's a rough contact sport where team play matters. Now Vince got on with his stuff in his department, and he was very pleased with it. He did it very well. But you know, in a sense, from my point of view, it, it wasn't acrimonious at all. It's just it's just that yeah. you know his style was very much to do his thing in his department, um, uh, and so I tended to find that the people who I kind of worked with more in my team were folk who. David Laws, Danny Alexander, uh, Davia, but you know who, in a sense, were kind of more in, involved in the kind of team exercise, if I can put it like that. What happens to the Lib Dems now? Because it does, you know, the general election really was a, a return to two-party politics. Does that sustain? Do you think to the next election, whenever that is, do the Lib Dems now, in the, you know, the sort of juggernaut of Corbyn, where he is gaining momentum in every regard, uh, and until the next election, where he's now starting to pull ahead, where the Labour Party is full of energy and the Tories look like they're dying on their feet. How do the Lib Dems get into that landscape? Well, I, I, I personally don't believe for, believe for a minute, and I know the two, particularly the two larger parties and the sort of commentary that sort of very predictably line up on right and left in our newspapers, they sort of say, oh, you know, 2017 shows that we're back to the 1950s, it's two-party politics, you know, the, the experiment with pluralism and compromise in politics is, is, is past, it was, just a, it was just a passing fashion, and thank heavens we're back to business as usual. I just, that's complete... I think baloney. If you just look at the way in which uh, politics has become much, much more volatile, people and sort of picking and choosing different parties at different times. They don't vote the way their mums and dads did, the way their grandfathers and grandparents did. The whole link between sort of class identity and political allegiance has broken down. So I, I think it would be a huge misreading by the two sort of larger establishment parties to sort of think that the co- kind of cosy duopoly has returned. And there's this vast, vast gap in the centre ground of, of British politics. I mean, the Conservative Party, I think, is in much, much more deep trouble, structural trouble, than Saeed, even Saeed, as a, as, a, as a very articulate critic, allows. I, I cannot imagine uh, millions of people under the age of 45, millions of people in black minority ethnic communities voting Conservative again for a very, very, very long time. And I think the one brand that the Conservative Party had, which may, did make it for generations the most successful party in the democratic world in many respects, was because it, you know, people always felt the Conservative Party, they might have been a bit hard-headed, but they kind of knew how to run an economy. they take brutal decisions they need to. They were managerially competent. They didn't actually become too extreme one way, kind of, or the other. They kind of liked to govern, and, and they didn't sort of rock the boat too much. And this demon of, of, of Europe has, actually, oddly enough, turned the Conservative Party into a very unconservative party. Conservative Party now they've, they've become you know it's like a revolution revolutions eat themselves they've become zealots and and I think that will do immense damage to the Conservative Party it's a huge opportunity for any other party including the Lib Dems and obviously the Labour Party I mean look I think the Corbyn thing is a bubble uh, I've experienced many bubbles in my own time as well they they all they all burst eventually um, uh, I think I think you won't quite see the shape of British politics until this, what I consider to be wholly artificial sort of bubble effect around Corbyn bursts, which of course it will. I and mean, will it, it, either it'll do in opposition, or more more likely, if and when he 
gets into 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 power. And heavens, gosh, uh, you know, I, I was uh, hung, drawn, and quartered fairly unfairly for failing to deliver one policy, one policy area when I hadn't even won the wretched election and there was no money. They are making, I think, excessively. Uh, uh, excessive promises, which can't remotely be met uh, by the realities of government. So you'll have, we'll have to go through that cycle. And throughout all that time, it's really important under Vince, the Lib Dems grow and grow and grow, get back you know, off the canvas. We obviously took a real clobbering in 2015. Who knows what's going to happen in British politics? It's more fluid than it's ever been before. But I do think the kind of, I do think kind of the sort of centre ground, moderate, compassionate, internationalist, uh, kind of believing in economic dynamism but social justice as well, believing in political reform, these, these kind of things, these are profound British traditions, sort of small-l liberal traditions, which I don't think... I mean, they're neglected at the moment, but they're not going to go away. There are millions of people who basically answer to that kind of ideological calling, I think. And, it, and in the midst of all of that, you know, this is where Theresa's got... This, she knows that at, in 2019, depending on whatever happens with the Brexit result, the chances are that the party is going to get rid of her. I mean, she knows that she's been led up this hill, quite sadly, really, as a sacrificial lamb. Let's get past these negotiations. Then they'll get rid of her. Then we'll get a new leader in, and then we'll fight the next election with a new leader. And, and as a politician, that is the most free place to be. Mm. You know you're already dead and therefore and i mean i say that in the yeah. nicest possible way and at that point i would say no no but i would if i was in that position i would be turning around and say to hell i'm actually going to do what's in the national interest i'm actually going to do what are those core principles that she talked about fairness social mobility reaching out that kind of stuff she talked about at downing street in that very first speech and i would say Fine. Look, nobody is going to challenge her within the party. Nobody wants a leadership contest, and nobody certainly wants an election in the Conservative Party because of the fear that we may lose that election. She is in a hugely powerful position. And so I would therefore say, for the next two years, I'm going to do exactly as I please. I'm going to take some bold decisions, decisions that are right for the country, might make you unhappy as a party, but you know what? So what? You're so mean to me anyway. And actually, you're going to kill me. You're going to kill me in 2019 anyway. So, so I'm actually going to just get on with it and do the right thing and remember she was a remainer so she could find a way through this and face off people in her in our own party and say to him okay you want to get rid of me get rid of me see who you get next jeremy corbyn and actually i'm better than that for you so therefore get on with it and take the decisions i just can't understand why she can't be that bold What better time than to open it up to the uh, audience? Now, we are, we are limited for time, so please, quick questions, one-sentence questions and one-sentence answers. The best questions, the two best questions will play in a runoff to win uh, 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 so many wonderful prizes uh, with uh, a guest of tune round from MP4. So we, have, we, have, we do have uh, roving mics. I can see a hand up, oh, right on the edge of the row there, so wherever a roving mic is, if we could get it to uh, the person there. Which actually was a good way of demonstrating we don't need them. So that's, uh, <laughs> that was very good. So yes, the, if the person can see the, the, right on the end of the row there. Yes, yes, yes. Hello, question for Nick. Nick, now we've seen what a car crash um, Brexit is like. Where are you? Can you put your hand up? Oh, sorry. There Over you there, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. God, this is like a hot concert. Yeah, yeah. Now we've seen what a car crash Brexit is. Now we've seen what a car crash Brexit is. Likely to be. Likely to be. Ooh. <laughs> Do you honestly believe in your heart of hearts it can be stopped? Yeah, absolutely. Of course it can. Um, 
there's a very nice quote at the beginning of my excellent best-selling book, <laughs> available at affordable price at all major retail outlets, um, from David Davis, oddly enough, which says, you know, a, a democracy that can't change or can't change its mind ceases to be a democracy. And this idea that on the 23rd of June 2016, there was this sort of Old Testament moment chiselled in, in stone, which is immutable forever, even if all the facts, all the promises, all the expectations, all the commitments made by the winning side have turned to dust. That's a nonsense. I mean, people talk about, oh, there'll be so much rage, it'll do so much damage to our democracy if we challenge the legitimacy of the referendum. Lying your way across the finishing line, which is what Johnson and Gove and Farage did, and then not being held to account for all the lies, the 350 million quid for the NHS, the smaller class sizes, the lower prescription uh, charges, the utopia of new trade deals, complete control of our borders, all that stuff, none of which, none of which will actually be brought about. I think, and I argue this in my book, I think when MPs come to vote on whatever threadbare deal David Davis cobbles together with Michel Barnier in the coming months, and that and the government has said they're going to bring that forward to, to a vote in, uh, in the House of Commons and the House of Lords um, for sort of ratification. I think MPs, I don't even think it's a question of choice. I think at that point, MPs should be duty-bound to make a simple comparison between the legitimate expectations which have been raised amongst their constituents about what they're going to get from Brexit and what is in the deal. And if the deal doesn't deliver anything, anything that their constituents legitimately expect from this process, then I think all MPs of whatever persuasion, whatever party, whether you're for or against um, the European Union, should say, I'm sorry, we're we're not going to give our consent to something because the gap between what you said would happen and what you are doing is so great that this is something which we simply can't uh, consent to. Now, the moment that happens, of course, you get a great crisis. I should have said one sentence answers as well. (laughs) No, but it's a a really important point to realise that our MPs, your MP, whoever you... All of our MPs do have it in their gift to stop this juggernaut. Of course they do. They just simply need to pluck up the courage to do what actually the vast majority of them know in their heart of hearts, which is this is wrong. It's wrong for the country. It's wrong for their constituents. And they can just say no in about a year's time. Okay. Yes, the person there. Okay, we can tell that to Who are the next leaders of the three major parties? Oh, gosh. If I could choose. Yeah? Um, Ruth Davidson for the Tories. Okay, Ruth Davidson for the Tories. Yeah. And uh, Nick? Uh, oh, well, yeah, and for Labour and the Lib Dems? Oh. God, this is really interesting. Keir Starmer, I think, is quite interesting. Okay. Uh, and possibly even... Um, is it Stephen Kinnock? Yes, Stephen, Stephen Kinnock. Kinnock. Yeah, Stephen Kinnock. Um, I should just put really bad people, shouldn't I, so they could lose the next election? Well, some people would say you have. <laughs> <laughs> but they might be being unfair. Uh, and what about the next person to lead the Lib Dem side? I don't, I don't know. How many Lib Dems are there? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I know any of them. Joe Swinson. Yes. Is Joe still around? Yeah. Joe Swinson. <laughs> I'll pass on that message to her. <laughs> So, Nick, who would you like to see the Lib Dems uh, be led by next? Uh, no, that wasn't the question, whether who I like, but uh, um, I think it probably would be probably between Joe and um, maybe a, an MP, recent MP from Oxford called Layla Moran. They're two very strong women who... So it would be great, I think, if 
the Lib Dems are finally led by a woman. Uh, so I, I would probably put some money on those two. Labour Party, I, I must say, I can't, from the outside, I can't see... I can't see the Chukra Mooners or Stephen Kinnock's or that, that sort of wing of the Labour Party winning out any time soon. It seems to me the Labour Party is being successfully and taken over. Know. Yeah, possibly, but I just, I just don't, see, I don't see the kind of what's inverted commas called the moderate wing winning out again. I mean, Keir Starmer's playing this very sort of, sort of clever, clever game at the moment. It's quite a balancing trick. The Conservative Party, I don't... I mean, I wish... I, I mean, she's obviously um, uh, very good, but I, don't, I just don't see how the Ruth, Ruth Davidson could lead the the Conservative Party. So, I don't know. Are they going to skip a generation? Well, well she'd I... have to be a Westminster MP for a start, so we'd have to find her a seat down here. But she's, I mean, she's by far... Yeah. And she's, she's, she's not tainted with all the kind of shenanigans no. that went on around the whole I just Brexit. think this Brexit thing has just poisoned the party so much, and, and she's taken such a... In, within the Conservative Party, such a, a sort of clear stance, which the sort of, you know, which the kind of Brexit elite and the Tory party don't like. So I, but who knows? But I think she represents the kind of party we could become again. Which is what you want. Yeah, yes. which is, yeah. So it's, Sorry, it's, having it's a debate. Okay. That I, I mean, it, it was, it was a, I asked for one sentence, really. That it could have been a sort of one name answer had she chosen. <laughs> uh, that wasn't possible. And, late. Uh, uh, yes, a one sentence answer. I'd read one sentence question. Really quick answers now. Should Theresa May just tell Arlene Foster to fuck off? Yes or no, side of RC. She doesn't use language like that. Should she? Yes. <laughs> yes! Nick Clegg? Yes. <laughs> right, let's get the three people... Oh, no, hold on. The, t- the, the last two questions were great. So the, the leadership question and the fuck-off question, please. Join us up on stage. Welcome back, MP4! So there's potential. I realise this show has run on because we started late. I apologise, um, but it has been worth it, hasn't it? Uh, so we are going to... Uh, no one answered yes, but don't worry. Uh, we are going to... We're now going to play a quick game of, of Name That Tune for our wonderful contestants. Please come up on stage. What's your name? Laura. Laura. Big round of applause for Laura, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. And who's our fellow who's coming up? You, you just won by default, yeah, but I've paid for a live band, so it'd be nice to use them. Sound like a medieval prince. I paid for music, Danny. I here he is. What's your name, sir? Carrie. Carrie. Nice. Yes, we have met before, but um, it's not rigged. Um, <laughs> Carrie Nickleg, side of RC. Uh, yeah, pub, pub, pub. it's lovely in here, isn't it? It's lovely pub. Right. Okay, we're going to play. Um, so just shout out when you know it. MP4 are going to play, and this is this is firstly for Nick Clegg. This is a signed copy of How to Stop Brexit. It's available in the shops. I have read it. It is superb. As is your other book, Politics, Nick. That's also available. <laughs> so, just shout out when you know. This is a festive favourite. Fellas, take it away. He's got it. Driving over Christmas. Well done. Well done. That's the first one. Driving over Christmas by Chris Rea. Laura, did you have any idea about that? Getting there. You were getting there? <laughs> Long drive. Uh, right. This is now for a signed copy of The Enemy Within, which I am sure is a great book. Yeah, what's the name of the song? That's the artist. Listen to the audience. There you go. There's the, there's the side of Arcee book. And this 
Oh, by the way, you both get a signed copy of MP4's Cross Party CD. There you go. I beg your pardon? Right, this is now for the final gift. Amazing. A bottle of champagne signed by Nick Clegg and Saida Varsi. Now, what... I'll give you a clue. This is a hit from this year. So shout it out when you know it. Did any of you recognise that? Was it Taylor Swift? Was it what? It was in the video. Yeah, but I don't know what it's called. Well, you're absolutely right. You've won it. Let's see what it should have sounded like. You've got accountability with conservative delivery. Make sure this time you get it right. Vote for Greg Knight. Vote for Greg there you go, Laura. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for our two contestants. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Well done. Merry Christmas. Well done. What a Christmas. Ladies and gentlemen, before MP4 plays out, firstly, thank you so much for coming down tonight. I'm very sorry we started late, and I'm sorry that it's run on late as well, but it has been uh, such a special night uh, for me, and I hope it has been for all of you. We are back tomorrow night with a different show, uh, a similar show, but our guests will be Anna Subri and Ken Livingston. There are still tickets available on the desk. <laughs> I'll deal with that tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> but for now, ladies and gentlemen, before MP4 plays out, please give a huge thank you to Saeed Avasi and Nick Clegg. Thank you, fellas. We shall now leave the stage, and we will leave you. Thank you all for coming. Merry Christmas. We will leave you in the capable hands of MP4. There we go. Saeed Avasi and Nick Clegg, both absolutely brilliant uh, it was, a, it was a, just a treat to sit opposite them both I know it's something I say a lot but there are times when you sit opposite these people and think I can't believe they're coming on this podcast that I do and, and talking so openly and so honestly and I think we're all better for it it was, uh, it was great fun thank you if you're one of the people who came down the atmosphere was electric on the night um, you can get tickets for next year's shows but there aren't many tickets left I think it's sold out to at least March and then there's only a handful left until November at the other palace it used to be called the St James Theatre it's been rebranded it's the other palace now uh, and the first three guests of next year are James Cleverly in January Ed Miliband in February and Angela Rayner in March. As soon as I have some other guests, which I'm very close to confirming, I shall let you know. But a Merry Christmas to you and your family and your friends. Thank you for downloading this. If you could leave it a positive review on iTunes, that would be really helpful. It would help other people find it. And if you can share it with your friends and family, uh, then I'd be very, very grateful. Merry Christmas, and I'll see you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.